so thankful to be here. Thank you so much. It's really fun to be a part of the team and to be so warmly welcomed by the team and to be part of this family. I love living in Beaverton. I moved here a couple of years ago when I got married and decided I wanted to live with him and it's going really well. And so um, it's really fun to be here. I was thinking recently about the systems that we use in our lives Systems are everywhere. We don't even really realize it, how our life kind of uh, has an allegiance to certain systems. We have economic systems and theological ones and governmental ones and educational systems and social systems. Even like America is a democracy. We're kind of an experiment, but this is our system. And sometimes it goes right and sometimes it goes wrong, but this is a system and it's largely invisible to us, but it is the system into which we give our lives and we kind of know the rules. And then there are social systems. A few years ago, a lady named Pat came to my home for Christmas and she had been living in her car for a while and she had been clean and sober for a few months. And at Christmas, I said, you must be so happy to be free of that. And she said, well, yeah, but... I had a group of friends that I really did love and enjoy. And when I got clean, the system was dead. And I didn't fit into it anymore because our whole social structure revolved around substances. And she had lost an admittedly broken but compelling system. In fact, you'll probably this week or next week when you land in your family home for Christmas run into some systems that don't have a name, but they are sacred. In fact, a a song went viral last year out of the movie Encanto because of a family system. We don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno. It's just a system and we all understand that it's in place even if you can't, it's not drawn up anywhere. It's not, there's no contract. There's nothing I signed. It's just the system. We don't talk about Bruno. And so I think that these systems can really hold us captive in interesting and scary ways. The two principles, two truths I think we can always say are true of systems. One is that they are largely invisible to us. We often just don't see them at work, but they're at work all around us. And the other is that they don't have to be good to be addictive. They don't. They, They can be really feel safe while being very destructive. The things that we pledge our allegiance to, the rules that we follow... And while we celebrate Advent in really soft tones and beautiful hues, holy Jesus, meek and mild, it came upon a midnight clear, sweet little Jesus, boy, even peace on earth, all good things. But Advent is a moment where Jesus came to disrupt our broken systems. Of almost all the things he came to do, this one is very near the top of the list, that Jesus came as the light of the world to shine a light and say, these are the things to which you are attached and they're hurting you. The systems don't always work. Um, I love that little saying, Jesus is the reason for the season, paint it on ornaments, put it on the wall. But honestly, truly, If we could just be really real together this morning, 
our broken systems and our sin and our constant allegiance to things that screw up our lives is the reason for the season. It doesn't look awesome on an ornament, but it's the truth. Our continual dependence on broken ways is the reason Jesus came. You are the reason for the season. You're the reason he came, not because he was sick of heaven. And so here we are looking at broken systems and wondering what they are because we get in them and we can't see them. And so then Jesus comes and Isaiah prophesies it in Isaiah 9-2. He says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light is dawned. And Matthew then, that, so, so Isaiah prophesies this in a time where Israel is failing fast. They are fading from the scene. They're at war always with Assyria. They're being surrounded by enemies. And he prophesies this great hope. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And then there's 400 years of, of spiritual silence. And Matthew writes, after he has seen the life of Jesus play out on earth, he quotes Isaiah almost. He changes one word. Matthew, who would fully know what Isaiah said, instead of saying the people walking in darkness have seen great light, he says the people sitting in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Isaiah says they're walking, they're moving at least. They're in darkness, but they're going, they're mobile. And Matthew says, nope, 400 years later, they are, this word sitting in the Greek means stuck. They're just paralyzed by darkness. They're stuck. They could come and go maybe when Isaiah was looking around, but with, by the time Matthew sees what's going on, he says, no, they're stuck in a darkness so weighty and so consuming that they can't see their hand in front of their face. I remember being paralyzed by darkness. I was about four years old and I don't have dreams about monsters under the bed. I, for whatever reason, had dreams about chickens. I think I had had a scary experience in a chicken coop one time and I was terrified that there were chickens under my bed. And that gives a whole new meaning to being a chicken of chickens, I don't know. Um, and, and the thing was, my mom was just like right across the hall. She was, I was steps away from safety. But when I would wake up from a dream about the chickens, are you gonna have dreams about chickens now? I'm, you're welcome. Um, I could not get out of bed. I couldn't walk the few feet because I knew as soon as my feet hit the floor, those chickens were gonna get my ankles. I knew it. And so I'm stuck just feet from safety and so I think I'm gonna call for her because she'll come to me and I can't even get any voice out. I can't even get a scream out because I'm so immobilized by my fear of darkness. That's how the people were when Jesus came. Probably not scared of chickens, but they were paralyzed. They were immobilized. Darkness is so paralyzing. And the deal we make with darkness is that we will adjust our plans and actions to accommodate it. We cancel our dreams. We cancel our decisions. We cancel our movements without even realizing it because it's a system we can't see. And so we are stuck and don't know it. 
We will never alter our traffic pattern. We don't want to keep bumping into furniture. We don't want something to reach out from under the bed. So I'm just going to stay here quiet and ineffective and unhappy and afraid, hoping something will set me free. And then Jesus. Jesus comes. He steps in and turns the lights on so that we can see how we were limited, limping, hurting, broken all that time. Jesus breaks through 400 years of dark silence with a light so disruptive that it sends all the smaller systems scattering like cockroaches. Jesus' light reveals to us the things on which we depend that are not serving us well. And it is beautiful. His new system is light. Things done in darkness will no longer stay that way. Time-honored and deeply loved systems are revealed to be shambolic in the government, in religious establishments, in our own hearts. The things we believe to be true are all of a sudden revealed. You're not thinking right. You don't have that right. So Jesus comes as the spotlight that wakes us up and shows us the way we're walking is leading us nowhere. And many are drawn to the light. But then Jesus begins to call a few men and women to himself and he begins to suggest this idea, and then he says it outright, and this is really a, a, an almost unspeakably beautiful thing that happens in Matthew 14, where in Matthew 5, Jesus gathers the people, and he's preached this sermon to them, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, and then he says to them this, the light of the world says to them, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is a huge overhaul of a faulty system. Um, <clears throat> We were making deals with darkness before and now, we, though we were incapacitated, now we not only have a light to follow, but we are the light. We're not just following an outside light. We have an inside light. We have a light that is, is within us, that, that is for the world. The light of the world has lights to the world. This is beautiful. And in fact, in the original language here, there's a definite article, and it makes this sentence read, you are the very light of the world. You are it. No pressure. You're it. You are the very light of the world. And not you ought to be, or you could be if you wanted to be, or when you get an education, you might be, or when you get hooked up to some other power source, you could be. Not that. It's you are the light of the world. And Jesus here blesses us with his own high view of us. If you came in here this morning feeling at all inadequate or um, dim or dark, you are the light of the world. You could argue with me all day long that you're not. I didn't say this. I'm not the one that thinks you're the light of the world. <laughs> Jesus said it. He conferred on you the honor and the privilege and the responsibility of being light to his world. So Jesus 
gives his disciples here a gift second only to salvation. It's the gift of knowing they are of use to the world. We really need to know we're useful. We really, really do. I did a ladies' conference a few years ago and I spoke to them about fear and I listed all the big 10, the things people are most afraid of, public speaking and dying. In that order, actually, people are more afraid of public speaking than they are dying. Um, so, and then, I, but I went through a lot of, a list of really very real fears, like even losing a child, losing a spouse. And the one that by far was the most responded to was women who had a fear of, listen to this word, purposelessness. Purposelessness. We need purpose. I read a study just this morning that showed that senior citizens living in assisted living homes were exponentially more healthy and happy if they even just had a plant to take care of. We need to be useful. And I know some of us sitting here today are like, I am way, way, way too useful. <laughs> My to-do list is way, way too long. Listen, I have 10 kids at Christmas time, so we'll talk, but it's hard sometimes. But being useful is really important. And Jesus says, you are the most important people in the world. You are. Listen to these beautiful words. Here Isaiah sketches out a dream of what could be when the light of the world moves into our neighborhood. This is Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick dark darkness over the people. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. That word arise in the Hebrew means to arise, to stand, listen, to come on the scene. That word arise means to be valid, what, what are we when we can't move, when we're stuck in bed, we're an invalid? This word means you matter. Not because of anything in you, except because of what's in you, the light of the world. The word shine means to be or become light. This is a good time to remind ourselves, I think, that we are paralyzed without light. We can't get momentum. We live beneath the weight of fear. We're hopelessly and eternally stuck in darkness. So the idea that Jesus delivered us from darkness to light and then turns to say, now you're it, is really breathtakingly beautiful, but with nearly every promise of Jesus, and here's the bad part about Jesus, with nearly every promise, there is a problem attached. Have you seen that with this? Jesus sometimes attaches problems, and here the problem is not that the light can be stolen from you or that it can be dimmed by someone else or that you could like walk away from the light. The problem is that there are buckets that cover it. The light can be in you and not visible, and I don't want to talk really about the buckets because, ugh, but, but let's just say some of them, the buckets that cover the light inside of us are cynicism and anger and bitterness, things that cover over the fact that we understand we are the light of the world. Um, Paul talks about one of the buckets in Philippians, and this also incidentally is the first verse I made my children memorize, no joke. Do everything without grumbling or argue, arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped, crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Why? So that then you can shine. 
Because apparently there's something in our offenses, our negativity, our frustrations, when they're constantly the thing coming out of it, it's like a bucket that douses the light of the world within us. Stop it. That's Jesus. Stop. You don't want to hide the light under a bucket. We want to exchange our right to be right about everything. I want to exchange that system, the system that says, it's my job here to fix the world. I want to trade that in for it's my job to be a light in the world. It's my job to step into some dark places and bring something that helps people see better. Do you see that trade? It's beautiful, I think, to let go of our tendency to evaluate and criticize everything and be willing to trade it in for the word of life. When we do that, I think we shine in a world that needs all the shine it can get. Another thing that covers the light within us is just distraction or a misplaced focus, or maybe we would say it this, what covers the light inside of us is when we miss the point was miss the point of why we're here and what Jesus came to do, and it's so easy to do. Here's Paul again. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus. So what I preach is not my own agenda. It's not my own system. It's not my own viewpoint. What we preach is Jesus Christ, Lord. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made this light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. We can so easily start to preach or live out the gospel of our own opinion. We can so easily turn the gospel into a way to kind of... um, beat up on society and and we try to shine the gospel to fit other faulty systems or to shape it to fit into systems that we want to defend and it covers up the true light of light inside of us I don't believe it stops living inside of us when we get it wrong but I do think it's difficult for our lights to truly shine when our focus is on trying to fix people or judge systems or reflect anything other than the knowledge of God's glory as displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. You are the light of the world. You are the lights of the light of the world. You are the very light of the world. It might be tempting to look at that idea as an aspiration or an eventuality. Someday when I have the right education or the right job or I've gotten the right breaks in life, someday I'll be able to truly shine a light in this world. When I get it together, when I stop making mistakes, when I'm given some magnificent opportunity, watch me shine. I remember when my first husband was diagnosed with ALS a few years ago, 10-ish years ago, um, I remember going into it really determined, I want to really reflect Jesus well. I want to represent him well. I want to make Jesus look really good to the world because I've said a lot about him and now people are watching my life to make sure that it's true, make sure that I still believe. And so I worked and worked and worked to put a good face on it and be a happy kid and go to church. And when people asked me how I was doing, I was doing fine. And then I remember one day that Jesus just really lovingly said, I can be beautiful all by myself. I don't need this kind of, I don't need you to defend my reputation. Just shine. Just live inside the little ember of your life and glow and trust me with everybody else. Just shine. 
this isn't aspirational. You already have the light of the world. You're already enough. You're already qualified. And it might be tempting to, to, to wonder where do I fit in the world, but I'm telling you the world is very dark and I don't think I have to convince you of that. We could look at a thousand different issues we're facing, but I just wanna focus on one real quick. I read some research this week on the subject of loneliness and I discovered that staggering numbers of Americans are seriously lonely. In fact, look at the person on your right and look at the person on your left. Good job. Of the three of you, statistics tell us one of you is really, really lonely. And if you're in the age group of 18 to 25, everyone's speculating. <laughs> yeah, check in on each other real quick, maybe. Um, between the ages of 18 to 25, there's an alarming 61% that report being miserable levels of lonely. That was defined as those who feel alone almost all the time. This is an alarming issue. It's leading to health issues. The results of loneliness are depression, anxiety, substance abuse, heart disease, domestic abuse. Research also shows us that loneliness can uh, curdle into suspicion and contempt and aggression, which only serves to entrench the person more deeply in loneliness. Loneliness carries the same, if not greater, health risks as smoking and drinking. Loneliness is bad, bad for our society. And clearly the problem is pervasive and overwhelming, especially in America. I think if we let ourselves, we could sink into the hopeless abyss of something so big and brutal and unsolvable. But here are a few more numbers that are interesting to me. 36% of the respondents who reported serious loneliness said no one in the past few weeks had truly asked them how they were doing. 50% said they wish someone would. Just ask them how they were and genuinely want to know the answer. 19% reported they had no one who cared about them outside their family. And 42% reported having fewer non-family members care about them than they would like. People are really quite desperately lonely. And with numbers like these, there's a very high probability that you not only work with someone who's suffering from almost debilitating, paralyzing loneliness, you probably live with someone who does too. We are the light of the world. And every time you walk into a coffee shop, you could stop and look around and realize that up to 60% of the people in that coffee shop, coffee shop feel hopelessly stuck in loneliness. We have a crisis of darkness in our world. And it's not the public school system or the political system or the economy, though all of those have their own place in this party. But it is a crisis caused by a failure to truly see and care about each other. We need to recognize that the light who came to shine for us also came to shine through us. We are his light. And as his light shines through us, it doesn't shine through in our judgment or our criticism or our ability to fix the problems people are facing. We don't have to do that. It just shines through in our willingness to show up, to bring a candle into the darkness and sit beside someone who feels stuck and paralyzed, who feels like an invalid and is longing to experience the validity that only love can truly bring. And I know we're busy and we feel ill-equipped to take on another human soul. 
And we all have different stories and our stories will always fight to disqualify us. Our stories tell us we have nothing to give, nothing to bring. We failed our own selves. We still kind of live in darkness. Our stories will try to keep us quiet and stuck too. But if I could do one thing this morning, it would be to take your story in my hand and press into it this one truth. You are the light of the light of the world. You are the very light of the world. There is no one like you. You're it. I talked to a friend of mine recently who goes here to be four. She and her young daughter, she's a single mom. They showed up here from another country in in a really, really deeply difficult time in their lives. Her daughter's only four and she had to make a whole new life here without her family. And someone told her to come to be four. And so she decided, that's gonna be my home. And she started staking herself out in the commons and working to meet people and introducing herself and making friends and building community. And she said, it was so awkward. (laughs) It's hard to reach out and be like, hey guys, I'm new here um, and I'm in a really dark time and I need some light. We're it here in this space. Even if we don't feel up to being the light of the world at Winco, I get it. (laughs) Those lines are long, people are rude. But will you be the light of the world like here? Like here, could we acknowledge that a single mom coming here for help and hope is not just another car in the parking lot? We're the light of the world. You have it. You have it to give just by asking how somebody's doing. And we all live in varying levels of darkness. I love that there's no countdown clock today. Is this a gift? (laughs) I'm paying attention, I'm doing it. There are varying times of darkness in our world because Jesus didn't say the darkness was obliterated. He said it would not overcome the light. And so even those of us who know God and bear the light of the world live in seasons of darkness. We do. I remember in the season where my family was fighting through this wretched disease, people who showed up as the light of the world in my dark, dark life. I remember walking out of my house one morning to discover that my friends had come during the night and filled my flower beds with plants because they wanted me to wake up to spring. They were the light of the world to me. There was a woman who did my, listen, Costco shopping for three years. I tech, I know that everyone's like, no greater love, right? I would text her my grocery list. She would bring it to my porch and drop it off and not require a single hello. And for three years, every week, I tried to pay her and she would never let me. She was the light of the world. If you have a Costco card, you could be the light of the world to somebody. We are important. We matter. Eleanor Nose said, Do not be dismayed by the brokenness of the world. All things break and all things can be mended. Not with time, as they say, but with intention. So go. Love intentionally, extravagantly, unconditionally. The broken world waits in darkness for the light that is you. Would you stand with me? Jesus, we are so thankful for who you are.
You are to us a great and beautiful light. You are our heart's desire. Thank you that you've conferred upon us such weighty worth, such value. And we just say yes today to being the lights of the light of the world. As we close with a benediction, if you would hold your hands out in front of you, if you'd like to receive this, I wanna speak it over you. May you be men and women who are beautifully disrupted by the light of the world. May you invite that light to inhabit every dark and paralyzed space in your soul. And may you walk out of these doors knowing that the broken world is waiting for the light that is you. Go in peace. We'll see you next weekend.